Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Patsy DeFerrance is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. All right, so it is Friday night, and I am not at a bar. I am not hanging out with friends. I am with you bringing back a Pat's Interference Classic for those who were with us from the beginning last year, our first year with the podcast. One of our earliest traditions was called Andrew Drinks Alone and Talks to Himself. Welcome back training camp where football dominates my life, my work, hours, even Friday nights. But honestly, as I said last episode, I'm just happy to have real football back. All the talking points, the projections, the predictions, this and that. You want to call it narratives. I'd love to shoot the word narrative into the sun, never be seen again. But we have football back, and this is good. Uh, no guest today. I was hoping to wrangle uh, someone just to go back and forth with about what we've seen from the three practices the Patriots have held so far. But football writers are just like you. They would rather not work for free late into Friday night. So you're just going to get me. And what I'm going to do is something I rarely do in this podcast, which is hopefully go quickly. Seven things I've observed from training camp. Again, all the qualifiers apply. Non-padded practices, only in the red zone. Special teams work. You know, this is not real football yet. But you deserve to know of all the things everyone's written and reported, the seven things that matter most, I have those. Then we have mailbag questions. I think I answered about six or seven. We haven't teed up here in a second. Uh, And in this second, I will remind you, this episode of the Pats Interference Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. And so this is it. You, me, a beer, feel free to grab one yourself. It is obviously the weekend if you're listening on Saturday or perhaps on Sunday when the Patriots will practice next uh, at 1230. Uh, Without further ado, though, through three practices, what have we learned? Number one with a bullet, Matt Judon wants a reworked contract, but he will not hold out or hold in. First of all, you don't see anyone across the NFL hold out anymore because the CBA has made it basically impossible teams will find those players into the ground with no recourse they can't pay back those fines once you you know get a new deal worked out which used to be kind of standard operating procedure for players who want a new contracts no you get fined the fines increase that money never comes back to you now Matt Judon did not practice on Thursday the second practice which is why this is a whole storyline and we're all going why is he getting rest on the second day of training camp when he's only in his eighth year he's the best player They're not in pads, and Belichick famously runs really difficult practices. Well, it turns out, according to Matt Judon today, Friday, this was all part of a plan, okay, between him, the training staff, the coaches, get him ramped up as the rest of the players are ramping up, but just at a slower speed here for Judon. I will tell you, I spoke to someone close to the situation who said what a lot of other reporters have since shared. Again, Judon wants a new deal. He only has $2.5 million left guaranteed on his contract, which goes for this season and next year, and that's it. And for someone who had 15 and a half sacks last season and 12 and a half sacks in his debut season as a Patriot in 2021, uh, that's not enough. Not to mention he's outside the top 20 when it comes to the highest paid edge rushers. And we all know he's well within the top 20 for the best edge rushers in the league. What is he going to do about it? Jeff Howe, the athletic friend of the podcast, has since shared that Judon probably won't do much. And so far, it looks like that will be the case. 
but it is the biggest news considering the best player in the team uh, has a very mild contract issue, uh, which could result in a race. You could guarantee some more money, add some more money into the deal. But according to Jeff, that won't happen. We'll see as it goes on further into camp. Number two, Bill O'Brien's offense will take time. But I think it's going to be worth it because the results obviously have not been there. And I don't know how this story ends, but I know this story starts with Mac Jones completing 48% of his passes and team drills through three practices. And that's what he's done. And again, the results, even as someone who charts every single pass play and who threw it, who was the intended target, who was in coverage, was there any sort of pass rush? I don't really care about these numbers. Part of it's a small sample size thing. It's diluted by the lack of pads. They're in a tight space, which favors the defense. A defense that, by the way, rolled back 10 starters from last year against an offense that is not only installing a new playbook, but as a new leading receiver, a new tight end in Mike Gesicki, offensive lineman, and Mac Jones is trying to incorporate all this. Now, it's not excuses. I thought he would be better than completing 48% of his passes, but this is here we are. The reason I'm optimistic is because while I think you can throw those numbers out the window once we get into real football and you stretch the field, is the play designs that we can't go into detail about per just reporting rules when it comes to training camp. I like a lot of what I'm seeing. And it mostly has to do with the fact Bill O'Brien is going to do something that Matt Patricia and Belichick and Joe Judge were so reticent to do, which was just take the low hanging fruit, my guys. I'm talking about a higher rate of passing on first down. Play action. Play action that looks like the run plays you actually call. And then some options for Mac Jones at the line of scrimmage and post-snap which we really didn't see a whole lot of last year. And when you did see, it was very, very basic and predictable. So the structure of this offense makes sense. The pieces fit. This looks good. Things I talked about in the last episode, we saw a little bit more today, the third practice, personnel groupings, play designs, three-man route combinations in the red zone. The more complicated it gets and complex, the more I like to see from this offense. But again, 48% is not good. And Billy Zappi and Trace McSorley were in the same neighborhood, if not worse. So it's going to take some more time. Uh, part of the reason it's going to take time, number three, is separation for the receivers is absolutely an issue. And you could go into the season and say, oh, I knew that was going to be the case. You've got, you know, Kendrick Bourne and Devontae Parker. Parker, who has famously been last in the league in separation, according to Next Gen Stats, I think since the dawn of time, or at least the dawn of time, according to the Next Gen Stats. But he's a contested catch eye. You have one of those. That's his deal, whatever. Here's the issue. Devontae Parker has been your most consistent receiver through three days of camp. Meanwhile, Bourne, your number three, and that's the definitive hierarchy from what we've seen in camp. It's Juju, Parker, Bourne, Taekwon, and then Demario Douglas, who we'll get to in a second. But Bourne, your number three, Thornton, your number four, and Mike Kosicki, who's really kind of your number four or five when you consider how much they're playing with two tight ends. All of them have combined for zero catches in competitive team drills seven on sevens and 11 on 11s against a defense that cares and is actively trying to stop you you can't have that and have a functioning offense as much as i believe in the structure and the x's and o's look bill o'brien might be the savior but he's running out of fishes and loaves already on the third day of training camp if that's really who he's going to be and it's because Bourne is getting bested by christian gonzalez and Devonte parker struggling some time with marcus jones who's also getting on the case of Tyquan Thornton. Thornton, by the way, not only has zero catches, two of his three targets in team drills have been broken up. So 
Sure, there's an argument to be made, and it's a, it's a good one. It's only through practices in the red zone. Thornton in particular is a, is a field stretcher. My counter to that would be a soft counter. I agree with parts of that. Thornton, though, is a former second-round pick who's supposed to be making a year-two leap. In addition to having 4-2 speed, this dude is six foot three, so he should be able to climb the ladder a little bit or shield you off, not just run by you. And if he can't run by you, use some of those other traits, and we haven't seen it yet. So I'm down on Thornton. I've said that before. I'm not down on the whole offense. Again, we need a ton of time. But this is what we're seeing. These are the early trends so far at training camp. Receiver is an issue. I wrote about this a ton and explained why in the last practice report. Let's do something positive, will we? Uh, let's jump to Christian Gonzalez. I said on WEI earlier today, he's been one of the best players in the field. We saw this in the spring. It said it didn't matter much. But this is a trend now between the spring and early part of camp. But we'll see what happens with the Pats. He's not the most physical player, okay? But I, I love this. You would think he's a veteran out there who has just very strangely made a jersey change and wants to wear the number 50 because he fits in so well with the secondary, covering players like Bourne, Parker, even DeMario Douglas, are all having trouble with Gonzalez because he's a freak athlete who knows how to use the God-given tools that he has. And it's not only that he's allowed four catches and eight targets and all these different team drills that we're charting, 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 and has two, two pass breakups. It's that he's cutting off routes when they're in breakers. It's that he's boxing you basically into the corner of the back of the end zone on these fades, and you have no opportunity to catch the ball because he's too tall, long, and fast and quick to get there. Marcus Jones talked about how smart he was after practice. You can already see that through three days of training camp. Again, we'll see how it translates against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith in week one and Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell in week two. This is going to be a baptism by fire, but Christian Gonzalez so far has not had a single rookie moment. He's, in fact, been arguably their best corner, and this is a guy who's getting first-team reps and earning them. Now, part of the reason he's getting those first-team reps, you know what this means? This is time for another sip of beer. First team reps, thank you very much, is because our fifth item, Jack Jones, has been relegated to the second team defense for now. And what this says to me is that Jack Jones, obviously his availability is in question due to the felony charges. We've all talked about this from his arrest in June at Logan Airport. Uh, the Patriots are planning for him to not be available because you don't give second team reps consistently day after day after day to him where Miles Bryant started day one with the top defense. Um, for a guy of that caliber, unless you have some other concerns, we know what those concerns are, okay? It's the guy might be in court for a while or put on the commissioner's exempt list or maybe suspended by the team or whatever's going to happen. So they have a contingency plan. Jack Jones naturally looks very good uh, covering second string receivers on a team that's not devoid of talent, but we all know what the situation over on the offensive side is at receiver. So he's taking second team reps. It has been Christian Gonzalez, Jonathan Jones, and Marcus Jones cycling and eating up pretty much all of the snaps uh, with the first-team defensive corner. Item number six, the offensive line, as we knew and told you on this podcast, is still no sure thing. Of all the positions we've talked about, though, this is the one where we've learned the least. The reason I bring this up is because Connor McDermott replaced Riley Reef at right tackle today. I don't know if this was a demotion for Reef, who did allow a couple quote-unquote sacks in day one and day two. Um, but it's notable because, you know, <laughs> listen to the names I just said. Riley Reef and Connor McDermott. We've covered what they've done in the past, but these are the players the Patriots are counting on, and you're already starting to see a shuffle. So we'll see what comes up. 
but those are the bodies that they're working with at a very key position to protect Mac Jones and to find out whether or not he could be your guy moving forward. Not to mention Bill Murray at right guard uh, is still practicing there, converted defensive lineman as long as Mike Unwenu uh, is out. So we'll see more in the coming weeks. The last item, uh, not sexy, not fun, but we got to mention it because special teams deserved an overhaul as much as the offense did a year ago. The kicking competition so far is pretty real. Okay, Nick Folk has not missed a field goal. Chad Ryland, the fourth-round rookie out of Maryland and before that Eastern uh, Eastern Michigan, has not missed either. You can clearly see that Ryland's leg is stronger. But even today, when they mostly worked on kickoffs, Folk is the one kicking off. You know, which is something I wouldn't count on him doing if he if he somehow wins this job, which we all assume that he'll lose come the regular season because you could have Bryce Barringer, their new rookie punter, do it. But they're getting equal opportunities here so far, and it's close. Beyond that, you don't want to hear too much more about special teams, but just just don't forget that because we did this three years ago when Justin Rohrwasser, then a drafted rookie, was an utter disaster, tattoos even aside, and Nick Folk came back in the last couple of weeks of camp and won that job. You would argue by default, but in reality, he was excellent then and he's been excellent since. It's just you worry about the leg strength. So we'll see. It's, it's not something to gloss over and automatically put in Sharpie Chad Ryland because Nick Folk has still shown up and doing his thing. All right, on to the mailbag. Fuad wants to know, why are wide receivers constantly having issues with getting separation? It feels like this has been the case for years now. Is it simply lack of talent on the roster or can coaching be an issue more specifically Troy Brown? One note, uh, <laughs> all the mispronunciations. One note on Troy Brown. He leads the receiver group, but splits his time in practice between the receivers and returners because he's the returners coach. So Ross Douglas their other receivers coach is actually with the receivers more than Troy to answer your question more specifically though. I'll say that these guys are who we thought they were, you know, Kendrick Bourne is an all around number three receiver whose best skill is probably yards after catch. Cause he breaks tackles. He outperforms his expected yards after catch based on his location in the field. Again, more next gen stat stuff pretty much a year after year after year. But besides that, he doesn't separate naturally. Devante Parker. I've already documented his issues with separation over his career. Juju Smith-Schuster, fine again, more of a yak guy. So these are the players that the Patriots have chosen. So it's no surprise that these are the results that they're getting. You can still win with receivers who don't separate, which also kind of makes their, um, you know, failure to design DeAndre Hopkins, whose big knock was a lack of separation, all the more puzzling. They don't seem to care about separation as much, but it's an issue. It should have been expected. It's just, I think, rearing its ugly head a little bit faster and a little bit worse than we expected. Uh, Carlos wants to know, um, I know it's hard to gauge talent level with just shirts and shells. Is there any position group that stands out in a good way? Is there a position that stands out in a bad way? Thanks. Receiver is going to take it uh, for bad way, but defensive backs on the flip side, not just because they're winning those battles. It's just, you just have such a depth of good talent. Like Marcus Jones is holding up at outside corner in a way that we saw him beat Devonte Parker on a rep today. And then also yesterday, just shove him out of bounds, understanding that when the quarterback breaks the pocket, there's no legal contact. So that awareness, his understanding of how to win at five foot eight versus guys that are six foot three is really impressive. We saw Jonathan Jones do that twice today, two pass breakups against Parker. He didn't allow a single catch on four targets. Jonathan Jones was magnificent today, but that's why I feel good about the corners, the young guys, established parts. We talked about Christian Gonzalez, but I'll split the difference here because there's one position group that is both impressing me and giving you cause for concern and it's tight end 
Hunter Henry has been excellent. He is quickly becoming the go-to guy for Mac Jones that we saw in his rookie year. I mean, and I've said Hunter Henry has an argue an argument to be the most misused player last year when you look about how much they asked him to block because the offensive line just couldn't do its job, which was obviously blocking. And so he has two touchdowns on the first day. He has uh, four targets today. He caught three of them in team drills. The flip side of that is, as, as I said, Mike Kosicki doesn't have a catch, and he's a guy they're counting on to be part of their base offense from what we've seen so far. And behind him, rookie Johnny Lumpkin, Matt Sokol, Anthony Ferkser, those guys combined to go one for six when targeted today and haven't really splashed in any kind of way. So it's a little troubling to me that you might end up with two tight ends on the roster, and one of them is actually a big slot receiver in Mike Kosicki. And again, there's a ton of camp to go. I'm not doing any sort of roster projections right now. The good news is the one tight end who's a real tight end is really showing up in a way that I think everyone expected, not only just last season coming off a great 2021, but when he signed initially, like this is the kind of career near pro bowler Hunter Henry has been. And that's what we're seeing at least early on in camp. All right, moving on. Uh, Charles, any change to your roster projections slash depth chart after three days? Not really. Um, I will throw out one name though, because I said I would get to him later and this is much later than I expected. Demario Douglas, six-round rookie receiver out of Liberty, five foot eight, 192 pounds, quick as hell. This is a guy that I probably would have had on the outside looking in if I had done a roster projection and I haven't. That's been done by my colleague at the Herald, Doug Kide. But he's repping with the starting offense every single day. He doesn't get a ton of snaps because, again, he's number five behind Juju, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, and Tyquan Thornton. But he offers a dynamic there in the slot with that quickness and at that size that the rest of the guys just don't. I mean, this is a big, big receiver group, and he's a little, little guy by NFL standards. And it wasn't a play today in team drills that really caught my eye, though we did have four catches, five targets, really good day for Demario Douglas. They were running this drill that essentially has a ball carrier and a would-be tackler, you know, meeting each other from about 20 yards away and they run straight ahead. And in the middle, there's supposed to be some sort of either tackle or you get two hands on them and it counts, obviously, when you don't have pads, you're not tackling. DeMario Douglas shook Jack Jones in a way where Jack Jones in this kind of confined space couldn't even get his hands on him. And I'm not saying he's going to do that in real NFL action, not even a preseason game, but that kind of wiggle reminded me of watching Gunnar Olszewski in 2019 and 2020 going, okay, he's definitively not the best receiver, not even top three or four in this roster, but... His athletic profile is different in a way from all the other players that he offers something they can't. And that would be an argument to keep him and try to develop him. Obviously, Gunner got to be an all-pro returner, didn't pan out as a receiver. Now he's in Pittsburgh. But that kind of skill, quickness, wiggle, make you missability is something I think they really like for him. And clearly the staff does. I mean, he's repping with the starting offense. So no big changes, but one name to keep in mind. Uh, Hans is asking, is there a move the team can realistically make trade, hopefully, uh, he says to acquire a wide receiver that can actually get open. Look, I don't think so. Again, they were close with Hopkins, a player who famously can't get open, but is always open. And we, of course, you saw some sick catch from uh, Titans camp today. They went viral on Twitter. But this is just like offensive tackles. If front offices have good receivers on good contracts who can get open, they hold on to them. They squeeze and hug and keep them locked away from the other team because they're real assets. So the other part about this is the Patriots don't want to pay receivers big money. We've been over this. You've seen it. We've all been Charlie Brown with the front office holding the football. 
and we swing through and they pull it away and you land on your back and you've got Juju Smith-Schuster for three years and $22.5 million. And that's fine. Maybe that's, you know, you get a little bit of contact, but that's not a guy, again, as we've documented, who's making people miss. I just don't think it's going to happen. They're betting on Thornton making a leap. Players like Demario Douglas and Kendrick Bourne may be coming around, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Kendrick Bourne is still traded despite this lack of depth because uh, it just really hasn't worked out here the last year plus. And you can try to pin that on Matt Patricia, but let's not forget he had the worst camp by any receiver that made the roster last season. Okay, They thought he was their number five going into the regular season. That wasn't just Patricia and Judge. It's other people in the organization I've spoken to specifically about Bourne. It was the feedback I got. All right, Jordan. What's your confidence level? Ty Montgomery and or Pierre Strong could be a reliable third down pass catching running back for us. Uh, he has his commentary. I don't think they can. They should have drafted Deuce Vaughn. Uh, Deuce Vaughn coming gone uh, with the draft. I, Ty Montgomery had a really good first practice. He gets hurt in the second. I, I just still can't convince myself beyond the fact that I think if he's healthy, he'll get a roster spot. But this is a player who hasn't topped 200 offensive yards in a season since 2018 should be a major part of your offense. And if he is, I think that's more commentary on the talent around him than Ty Montgomery. Okay. I think his days as an explosive impact player are coming on. If he's your fourth or fifth receiver and running back, that's great. You have two jobs, two players packaged into one. That's really valuable. It's, it's good value. That's the definition of versatility and productivity, but I would love to see Pierre Strong do this. We talked about the talent, 4-3 speed. We've all seen it. You just need to see a little bit more. And this is where the pads coming on are really going to separate him because he looks pretty thin for how tall he is, in my opinion, whereas Kevin Harris is like five foot nine, 225 pounds. You know, if they needed a, a Hulk knockoff or, you know, backup actor, like that dude could fill in in a mini version. I just, you need to see it with the running backs. So I think he's, Pierre Strong has the, the physical potential to do this. How likely is that outcome? I don't know. We'll see. It's a lame answer, but it's the only one I got. Uh, Grayson's asking about Demario Douglas. He wants to know, what have you seen from him? Just talked about that. What are the chances of him making the roster? Um, 45%. How about that? I, I still have him on the outside, but you know, for now, uh, it's really close. And I think he's, he's getting better, which is the best sign, the best chance you can give yourself as far as making a roster. I, I remember asking actually Belichick about this. I think my second year, you know, how do you weigh your most recent data points in the preseason in training camp when, when deciding which players stay and which ones go, you know, because of a player, you know, is so inconsistent to the more recent games count because you've had more time with them, or do you try to avoid that because it speaks to some recency bias It might not mean more. And he said, if there's a trending, you know, if there's a trend with the performance, you just speak to that. And if not, you know, then you just kind of have to make a decision based on other factors. Sometimes it's outside of the player's control. Anyway, all right, last one. John is asking, do you think they'll bring in another veteran running back to give some depth behind Stevenson? Leonard Fournette seems like a good fit. Well, he might seem like a good fit, but the uh, Patriots disagree because he came, he worked out, they didn't sign him. And that to me is as good an indication as any. They don't see a future here for Fournette, who, by the way, doesn't have a future with any team right now because no other team has signed him. As far as do I think they'll bring in another veteran back? I think this hinges a lot on Montgomery's health. I think they should bring in one regardless. But the market's pretty scarce outside of Dalvin Cook, who right now is hanging out with the Jets, who just got a lot more money and are a lot more willing to spend it. So, yeah, I think they'll bring someone in. But they'll make that decision in the coming days, not only just based on Montgomery, 
but uh, Pierre Strong as well. So, all right, that'll do it. Friday night, time for me to get off this podcast. Time for you, if you have not, subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast. It doesn't matter. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, everything helps. Support us. As again, we're going twice a week with Pat's Interference throughout training camp, the preseason, the regular season, offseason for agency draft. Okay? The more you support us, the further we can go, the better we can grow. So, again, a reminder, this episode of the Pat's Interference Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. I will be back next time with a guest, not just me and uh, probably not a beer. But until then, have a great weekend. The pads are coming on this week and we are getting closer and closer to the season opener. See you guys.